after every sermon where I use an outline, there's somebody who comes up to me and says, thank you so much for, for doing that. You know, we, we can take the notes home with us. It's all right there. Thank you very much. And then I'll have somebody call me during the week and say, please don't use those outlines. To fill in all those blanks, it just makes me feel like I'm in school again or something. And so I recognize that there are different people and different learning styles. And some people just don't like outlines at all. Some people uh, love them. And so I've decided to use one this morning. I use them just occasionally. and decided to use one this morning because I'm hoping that you'll take... The, uh, the notes home with you today. And this was a convenient way for me to get the notes into your hands today. So that's what we're doing with the outline. And I'll get to that in just a minute. And by the way, you can turn it over and look at the back side because we're going to start with 13 first and we're going to work our way to number one. Okay? In 2001, my family and I left Victoria and we moved to Dallas, Texas so that I could go to school for a while. We got down there and uh, we were there for just a couple of days in a hotel room. And Meg and I decided that we would go across the street to Best Buy, which was like literally uh, a thousand yards or something from the hotel where we were staying. So she and I went into Best Buy. She kind of followed me in, parked in this big parking lot. We went in and I uh, watched her go over to a station in Best Buy where she was standing at a computer playing a computer game at a monitor. So I saw her there. And then I went to a counter that was just right next to that, and I asked a few questions. And when I finished at the counter, I turned around, and she was gone. And I had no idea where she was. Now, we've, we've been in Dallas for two days. And so, all of a sudden, she's gone, and I can't find her anywhere, and really don't even know where to start looking. Like I looked all over the store and I couldn't find her anywhere. So I went to the the counter, I went to management and I said, I've lost my daughter, I can't find her anywhere. And you know the thoughts that are going through my head. Like immediately I'm thinking, oh no, what has happened? And and I think she's just, she's gone. So I, like I really was starting to panic. I was very worried and I was, you know, I like I was praying. I don't think I called Robin, but I, I mean, I was ready to call her and say, I can't find Megan anywhere. And then all of a sudden, I decided that maybe, just maybe, she would be outside at the vehicle looking for me. I didn't know why she would be out there, but maybe she would be. So I, I finally, I went outside and I looked, and she was standing just outside the store, just outside of my vision, so that if I was, if I looked out the outside doors going out of the store, which I had looked, of course, she was just removed from sight so that I couldn't quite see her. And I eventually found her out there. And I said, you know, what are you doing out here? And she said, well, I lost you. I didn't know where you were, but I knew where the car was, and I knew you wouldn't leave without it. <laughs> and so she stood, on, she stood just outside the store on the sidewalk with her eyes trained on the vehicle knowing that I was not going to leave without the car. Now, maybe she thought the car was more important than her. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. But anyway, she had her eyes trained in the car. Well, that was one of the scariest moments of my life. There was a few minutes there. This was not just one of those you know, where you find her within the next minute and then you kind of breathe a sigh of relief. I mean, this went on for, for several minutes and we searched the store carefully, myself and the staff, and we knew she was not in the store. And so we were really 
worried. I mean, I was, I was terrified. That was one of those scary moments of being a parent. There are a few others that I've had like that that have been terrifying, but, but of a completely different kind of character. I remember when Adam was in kindergarten. And I started, to become, like, I started being suspicious that maybe he wasn't making a lot of friends at school. And so one day, I left the church building, got in my car, went to the school, and I parked at the playground at lunchtime so that I could look and see what was happening to him at lunchtime. Like, was he making friends? Was he isolated? Were things not going well or were things going well? And I sat there and I watched to see how he would interact with the other kids because I was worried. Now, things are fine with him. But at that point, I was nervous. Now, those are two instances when i got to tell you, parenting wasn't as much filled with joy as it has been with other times. Recently, I got a text message from the young lady sitting out here and she was up at um, YC with the teenagers. She got there, I think, on that night. Maybe it was the next night. I can't remember. And we had some friends over and I get this text message and I look at my text message and all it says is, Hi, geek. And it's from her. And now some of you might think to yourself, well, that's kind of disrespectful. What's she doing calling her father a geek? Because it's obviously not true. (laughs) But that filled me with joy. It filled me with joy that my daughter has that kind of relationship with me, that she's going to send her dad a text message that just says, hi, geek. I don't know if you get geek messages from your daughters or not. But for me, that was a special moment. And of course, there have been thousands of joy-filled moments of interaction with my children over the years. It has been absolutely fantastic to be a father. You know, there, there might be one or two things in the world that rank up there with my role as a father in terms of the joy that it brings to me. Being married to my wife is filled with joy. And being a Christian and knowing the Lord, that fills me with joy. But aside from that, what would I have in my life that would be as joy-filling for me as the relationship that I have with my children? And I happen to be blessed with kids who have, fortunately for me, never given me a day of trouble. And I know that there are families who don't experience that and you think, oh, this has been an arduous task. And I won't say there haven't been times of worry. But for the most part, my life as a father has been absolutely one filled with joy. I commend it to you fathers out there. I commend the life that I've been able to experience and to enjoy as a father of my children. Now what I've done today is just kind of reflecting all of that, or reflecting on all of that, thinking about what it means to be a dad. I put together this week 13 things that have made this especially meaningful and joy-filled for me. Now, I know that this list is not exhaustive, not even close. If I was to pull all the fathers out there and all, all of you who have filled, are filled with joy and being a father the way that I've experienced it, I'm sure that you could put together a list that would look much different than mine. But this is my list. 
And I put it together because these are the kind of things that have made joy of parenting for me, being a father, so filled with joy. So we'll start with number 13. Work our way backward to number one. Number 13. And these are things that I've tried to do, sometimes successfully, sometimes woefully. Number 13, parent and discipline with consistency and intentionality, unafraid to parent and to be responsible in showing your love. When I was a young parent, I don't, I, Adam couldn't have been more than just a baby. I went to a, a teen retreat. I was a youth minister, so I took a bunch of teens to a retreat up in the mountains. And there were two fathers there who had teenage kids that I recognized as being special kids. Kids who really had it together with the Lord. And I went to those two fathers and I said, guys, you know, this was like at lunchtime or something during the retreat. And I said, I'm a brand new father. I want you to tell me how I can best parent. How can I be the best father I can be? And they both gave just one answer, which I found remarkable. And this was it. They said, be consistent. Be consistent. Make sure that your words match your actions. If you say you're going to do something, do it. Even with something like discipline. Make sure that you're consistent in your life with your kids. Both of them said that. I've tried to be. Sometimes woefully, but I've tried to be. Number 12. Young fathers, trust with all your heart that the number of years you will have enjoying your children and training them in Christ will pass much, much more quickly than you can imagine. Live as a father with a sense of urgency about being a great father. Live with a sense of urgency about being a great father. Lots of us have urgency about lots of things we want to get done in life. Having an urgency about wanting to be the best father you can be, I think, is important. What that does is it makes for you the priority that it should be. Number 11. Don't be afraid to take the lead in the spiritual life of your family. Don't be afraid to take the lead in the spiritual life of your family. I think, even in this day and age, that most wives look to their husbands to take leadership, spiritual leadership, within the family, and I know the kids do too, and don't hesitate. It's so easy for, for us to just kind of say, oh, you know, I don't know if I should do this or not. We get hesitant should I take this leading role in, in terms of my spiritual, the spiritual life of my family? Well, don't hesitate. Jump in. Do it with intention. Plan for it. And be the spiritual leader in your family. Number 10 on the other side. Or I don't know what side it's on for you. For me, it's the other side of the paper. Number 10. Show your loved ones that you love them. But also tell them often, and mean it every time. Show your loved ones that you love them, but also tell them, often, and mean it every time. You know, we always say, don't just tell me, show me. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. But I think there's a great deal of wisdom in not just showing it, but telling it, saying it, and saying it often. The words, I love you, are sometimes difficult, guys, for us to get out. I've talked to, to people who've said, my dad never told me that he loved me. I knew that he did, but he never said it. I think that there is incredible value 
and saying it. And saying it as often as you can and meaning it every time. Number nine. Be faithful in the little things when no one is watching. Be faithful in the little things when no one is watching because who you are when alone will be decisively evident to your kids when they are able to watch you. Be faithful in the little things when no one is watching because who you are when alone will be decisively evident to our kids when they're able to watch us. Don't ever think because they didn't see you because they didn't know about it, because they didn't hear about it, that somehow it won't impact them. It will impact them. Those little things that we do that we think nobody knows about, in fact, affect our characters. They are, in fact, who we are. And don't think for a moment that it won't somehow come out and won't impact those, uh, impact us and those around us. So we need to be faithful in those little things when no one is watching. Number eight, be faithful in the big things when everyone including your children, can see your decisions grounded in faith. Be faithful in the big things. There are times in your family's life when a decision will come along, and when it does, you need to have your faith in Christ dominate your decision. And everybody around you needs to know that you made your decision based on who you are as a follower of Jesus, and your kids certainly need to see that. Number seven, make evident sacrifices for Christ and the church. And I say evident, I just mean um, clear, obvious sacrifices for Christ and the church, and they will come back as blessings. In other words, if you show to your family, to your children, if you make it evident that you're making sacrifices for Jesus, the sacrifices that you made for Christ will come back as blessings to you. And here's the biggest one. So often, we think we make the sacrifice for our family of putting in all that time at work, of being ultra-successful on their behalf, and I think that all comes with good intention. But so often, what they need to see is a sacrifice of maybe not being so successful because you wanted to spend time with them. And that will come back to you, I promise, as a tremendous blessing in your life. Number six. And you'll, you'll hear this parity in many things that go on uh, that we hear all the time. No one ever says on his deathbed, I wish I had spent less time serving Christ. You know, normally that line comes out, nobody ever said on their deathbed, I wish I spent more time at the office. But in this case, nobody ever says, I wish I had spent less time serving Christ. Instead, everyone always says, I wish I had served the Lord better. I wish I had served Him more. Find specific, evidential, meaningful ways to serve the Lord and model this before your family. Number five. Not all Christian men are chosen by the church and by the Lord to lead. So, when you aren't leading, be a fantastic follower. Not all Christian men are chosen by the church and by the Lord to lead, so when you aren't leading, be a fantastic follower. Not only does the church need you to do that, but your family needs you to do that. Number four, 
take your cynicism and negativity about the church and bury it somewhere that your children cannot find it. You know, it takes about five seconds of reflection for just about anybody to find something wrong with the church. That's because we're human beings. And it's because the last time I looked, all the churches that I knew, they were all filled with human beings. And so it's so easy to find things that are wrong with the church family and to express those. I think it's a mistake. I think it's a mistake to express in front of those, especially those who are vulnerable and young, negative things about the church. I think it changes their attitude and shapes their attitude about things in a negative way. And so I'd suggest that you take the cynicism and the negativity about the church, which I know can so easily be there, and instead bury that somewhere so that your children can't find it. In the same way that it takes only a few seconds to think of something negative about the church, I think it takes years of growth and maturity to get to the point where you can experience the negative things about the church that we all know are there and to deal with them with maturity. It takes years, I think, to learn that. But we need to learn it. We need to grow in that direction and God will bless us. Number three, there are few specific prescriptions for fatherhood or manhood in Scripture. Like, I don't know if you've ever done this, but just try and look through the Bible sometime for a description of what it means to be a man. Look through the Scripture sometime and see what it means to be a woman and you will find Proverbs 31. A good woman who can find. Well, many, the Scripture goes on to say, But there's not a specific place in Scripture that you go to in order to find a description about what it means to be a man. There are a few, I've listed some there that you might look at. But since that's the case, take biblical instruction from what it means to be a mature follower of Christ, especially what it means to be an elder and what it means to possess the fruit of the Spirit. That's where I think a man needs to go to find out what kind of father and what kind of man he needs to be. So if you're looking for biblical instruction, take it from what it means to be a mature follower of Christ, especially what it means to be an elder and what it means to possess the fruit of the Spirit. Those things, I think, are the most uh, solidly grounded principles for what it means to be a Christian father and man. Extrapolate from what it means to be a Christian over to what it means to you to, for you to be a husband and father. Number two, make knowing Scripture a priority and make sure your children know that you know and love the Bible. Make knowing Scripture a priority and make sure that your children know that you know and love the Bible. And I think you have a much better chance of them also thinking that Scripture is important. And then finally, number one, understand God as best you can. Seek His face and be the Father that He is. If we don't have a specific place in Scripture to go for how to be a father or for how to be a man, 
It's because God has consistently, throughout his whole interaction with humankind, shown himself to be the father that we all need to emulate. And so find out who God is. Come to know him. And show that kind of father to your children. Being a father, as I said, is, has been one of the top joys of my life. And there's no reason why every father here can't feel as wonderful about being a father as I do. And I pray that God blesses you through the presence of his spirit with the kind of relationships with your kids that will bring you that kind of joy. Let's pray. Holy Father, we love you and we praise you today as our Father. We thank you, God, for the example that you are to us, the way that you guide us and lead us and help us as your children to become what you want us to be. Father, today I pray a special blessing on the fathers in our church. Father, there is a dearth of strong Christian leadership among fathers in our world today. It's a responsibility from which we sometimes shirk. Father, I pray that today you'd help every father here to recognize the fullness of the responsibility and to respond accordingly to what it means to be a father following after your fatherhood. We praise you and thank you not only for your example, but for the strength that you give us through your spirit to be the fathers that we should be and can be for our kids. Bless us, Father, in that goal. It's through Jesus we pray. Amen.